Hey, good evening, Newark family, and welcome back once again to our evening broadcast. I'm excited to be with you here on this Saturday night, and because it's Saturday, that means that I have the pleasure of introducing a new topic and a new series for this week. And so this upcoming week, we're going to spend some time talking about common lies that Christians believe. Now, why would we do this? As a pastoral team in our discussions, we were talking about the fact that as new Christians, and even as older Christians, there are common misconceptions, lies, little whispers and voices that come into our head that try to tell us things that are not true, things that are misleading, and they can seriously hinder our walk with God. And so we want to take the next few nights and we want to spend time talking about some of these most common lies and how we can avoid them. And so this week, we're going to talk about the lie, the misconception, that Christians don't sin. We're going to spend some time talking about the idea that I can do this alone. I don't need any help. Me and Jesus, we got our own thing going on. We're going to talk about the idea that when we're tempted, that in and of itself is sin. We're going to talk about the idea that, oh, I'm a good person and I've done enough to make it into heaven. And we're also going to discuss the idea that I can take some sort of special action. I can pray a really long time, or this is a very common one, I can fast a certain way. And if I take the right actions, I can force God, or I can manipulate him, or I can push and get God to act in a certain way or to move on my behalf because of my actions. And so having said that, let's go ahead and dive right in. And we're going to start with our first topic, the one that I'm going to discuss tonight. And that is the idea that Christians do not sin. Oh, that's a good one. Who said that? Me. I believe your audience is well acquainted with me, and I don't need to do an introduction. But for your sake, you can simply refer to me as the serpent. Oh, now I know who you are. Yeah, Rachel warned me about this guy. She said that he was obnoxious, and not only was he obnoxious, that he was a total camera hog. That is a matter of opinion. Right. As I was saying, tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about lies and specifically the lie that Christians don't sin. This is an absolutely terrible trap that you want to avoid. You don't want to fall into the lie that Christians do not sin. It's not a lie. It's not a lie. It's true. If you are a real Christian, then you won't sin anymore. Wait. What are you talking about? What you're saying is a lie. In fact, it's the exact opposite of truth. Wait a minute. Now, Rachel warned me about you. She said that everything that you say is either a lie or it's something obnoxious or usually it's something self-absorbed and selfish and about you. Not true. Not everything I say is selfish. <laughs> Do I have to broadcast with this guy? Yes, you do. You want to know why? Because these people are tuning in to hear me. It's all about me. And this week is a whole series about lies. Who better to start it off than me? Ha! You just basically admitted that you're a liar. You are the father of all lies. And you assume that if we are doing a series on lies that Christians believe, just because the topic has to do with lying, that somehow you should be invited and that you should get to open it. You know, when I start to think about it, 
You're really pretty shallow. I'm an anthropomorphic sock puppet. What were you expecting? Something with depth? Point taken. Well, let's focus instead on what I need to say for a while. The idea that as Christians that we won't sin is a terrible, terrible trap to fall into. It won't take very long before your life circumstances and your own choices will point out to you how very not true this is. It doesn't take too long as a Christian before you get convicted by the Holy Spirit as you realize the mistakes that you're making. And once this happens, and once you realize that you have failed and you have sinned, because the reality is we all do that, the doubt and the whispers and that guy begin to talk to you and they begin to creep in. And that ugly voice of condemnation will speak up and it'll say, and you call yourself a Christian. Real Christians don't act like that. Those are my lines. That's one of my favorite tactics. I don't have to make people sin. I just wait for them to fall into temptation. I was a guest star on a previous broadcast about that subject. Then, once they give in to temptation, I hit them up with my other favorite tool, condemnation. I usually try a classic like, and you call yourself a Christian. Or, ooh, ooh, this one's even better. I just like to ask questions like, is that how a real Christian would behave? Perhaps you're not really what you think you are. That one-two punch, that's the best trick I've got. You know, you're not really helping your case here. As I was saying, when we fall for the lie that Christians don't sin, we set ourselves up for a terrible round of guilt when we do eventually fall. You know, I'm reminded of an example from the New Testament of two different men, both of whom hailed both of whom failed in a very similar way, in the same evening. And yet they responded very differently to how they failed. When Judas betrayed Jesus, he let his condemnation consume and then destroy him. My wife and I were talking about this earlier today, and stay tuned, you're going to hear more about Judas and his decisions tomorrow evening in her message. That same night, after Judas betrayed Jesus... In a different way, but in essence still the same idea of betrayal, Peter also betrayed Jesus. And yet, when he was confronted with his failure, he left the courtyard broken, he left it weeping, but he did not let his fail and his condemnation absolutely destroy him. Please don't miss this point. Both Judas and Peter failed. Both of them were racked with guilt both of them listened to that whisper of condemnation, but they responded very, very differently. Both of them were disciples of Jesus. But the difference is that one of them got over it, while the other one let this condemnation hang over him until he literally hanged. Oh, oh, that's one of my favorite stories. And it was some of my best work. Judas didn't take much work. He let me in, and then after his betrayal, I didn't have to say much before he was just consumed with his failure and the lie that he couldn't be forgiven. And it wasn't 
that he wasn't a disciple of Jesus. That poor man destroyed himself, and I had to do very little. It, it was glorious. <laughs> that is a really disturbing laugh. And not only that, I imagine that it's very, very difficult on the throat of the voice actor who plays you. Before we close tonight, let me share a few scriptures with you that I want you to think about. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. The first one comes out of Romans chapter 3, verse 23, and it says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. What does this remind us? Everyone, all of us, even after we become Christians, we sin. It's a part of our life. It's not a good thing. It's not something to be proud of. But it's important to keep this reality in mind. And this is not the only place in the New Testament where this idea is spelled out. I want to read you another passage, this time out of 1 John chapter 1, and I want to read verses 8 through 10 in the New Living Translation. If we claim that we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and we are not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar, and we are showing that his word has no place in our hearts. If we try to fall for the lie that says Christians don't sin and we won't admit our failure, then we call God a liar, according to what John said in 1 John. And so John is reminding his readers, remember, he's writing to Christians. He's reminding them, you know what? We all fail and we all fall short. But the good news is that when we fail, when we sin as Christians, if we will confess our sins to God, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us. And I don't know about you, but at least for me, that's comforting. And that's a good reminder that even in my failure, if I will just own up to it, if I will admit it, and if I'll repent, and if I'll talk to God and ask him to forgive me, he'll make it right. Here's another thought for you. If Christians don't sin, let's assume for just a moment that that idea might be correct. If Christians don't sin, then why do we find so much correction in the New Testament epistles? As you read throughout the letters written to the churches, you find lots of correction. And remember, these letters are written to Christians. And so the apostles are giving them instructions on how to correct different behaviors in their life. Why are they giving this instruction? Because Christians fail. Because we make mistakes and we all end up sinning. We all fall short of the glory of God, as Paul said in Romans 3.23. And not only that, think about a very specific example in the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3, as John is writing, and he writes to the seven churches of Asia Minor, and throughout his instruction, he's encouraging them, but he's also correcting them, and he's telling them to turn back and to correct these mistakes before it causes their destruction. So again, if Christians didn't sin, then why would we find these corrective actions? And notice these corrective actions are also paired with hope. They're paired with the idea that if you will stop what you're doing, if you'll turn away, if you'll correct it now, you can save yourself before it ends up destroying you. See, the truth is that we all sin. 
even after we've become disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we all need his mercy and his grace and his truth to be active in our lives. And we need this every single day. So the next time that you need God's mercy and grace, don't listen to what that guy is trying to whisper to you. Don't fall for his lies. No, listen to me. Ignore the theologically sound teaching that man with great hair is saying. I'm the one that you need to hear. I've been speaking to you since before you even started your discipleship journey with that, um, well, you know, the other guy. I will continue to speak to them until the day they die. So you, you just get used to my voice. I am not going away. Keep listening. You know, the more times that you decide to come onto this broadcast, the worse and worse that you look. You would think, if he was paying attention, that he would stop coming onto our broadcast. But I think he's too vain to quit showing up. Well, thank you for tuning in tonight. I'm glad to be here with you. I'm glad to be on this journey with you. This week... Pay attention and see if you can recognize some of the whispers that try to appeal to you, the things that try to trip you up and convince you that you're not good enough or that you can make this on your own or that you can take some certain action and make God behave a certain way. Don't you fall for these lies that Christians believe. So pick your head up, keep your ears open, keep your eyes stayed on the word of God, and let's see what we can learn this week as we travel together and talk more about lies that Christians believe.